Welcome to the Networking for the People podcast series. If you are looking for guidance on NFTs, you've come to the wrong place. But stick around anyway, as we figure out what our friends are up to, why they're doing what they do, and how they ended up getting there in the first place. I'm Robert. Welcome to NFTP. Today, we're joined by Justin Merkin, trader by day, marathon runner, the rest of the day. He loves salmon for dinner and made me three different kinds last time I visited. Sake bombs on the Cancun shore and vacationing in his spare time, or his little spare time, should I say. I gave him his much needed Wi-Fi password during our summer CS102 course before freshman year of college. I've been waiting for him to pay it back to me ever since. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Uh, it's great to be here. I wish I got that glowing of an introduction every single time I walked into a room, but uh, thank you. It's uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> Well, again, yeah, thanks for your time today. And I'm ready to, you know, just dive right into it. So in your in your own words, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, yeah, I think you uh, did a pretty good job of covering it. You know, my life isn't as interesting as you uh, might quite make it sound, but um, I currently am a mortgage-backed security trader at Citigroup, uh, you know, specifically on the agency mortgage commercial side. Taking a big picture back, like that's a step back. It's, you know, it's a trading feed, obviously. Um, and we're, we're markets facing and markets oriented. So we get them fairly early. Uh, our hours aren't necessarily as bad or as late as, you know, something uh, not uh, markets facing, something like investment banking, where you might be getting in a little bit later or, you know, and, uh, and leaving a little bit later. But, you know, a day-to-day basis, I, I get in somewhere around 7 or 7.30. Um, you know, we start trading somewhere around 8 or 8.30. And most of the day is really is really giving, you know, to interacting with with clients, banks and money managers, things like that, hedge funds uh, and and transacting and actually, you know, executing trades. Uh, you know, the sector that I focus on specifically are mortgage backed securities. They're, they're kinds of bonds. You know, usually most people look at the markets in general and think of either stocks or bonds. Mortgage backed securities are just one particular kind of bond where, mm-hmm. you know, instead of being government backed in a U.S. Treasury security, they are bonds that are securitized and based off of individual mortgages that are that are given out by uh, the government agencies. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on a day-to-day basis, you know, we just trade different different forms of those kinds of bonds. It's nice to be exposed to not only different types of bonds and different vendor kind of associations that you're working with, but also understanding of the different flows around the world, the NASDAQ and S&P 500, but also uh, different indexes around the world. So it's cool to be exposed to that different picture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, when you get into this business, like, there's so many, so many different markets and so many different, you know, types of areas you can you can shift your focus to. But a lot of the best traders and the people who are the most successful in this business, you know, the ones who who can really see the full picture and mm-hmm. understand what's going on in all of these markets, in order to assess, you know, where there might be value uh, in one one spot versus another. Um, those are the guys who who really take like a top down approach, a, a you know macroeconomic approach, and really understand every every side of the business and every side of the market to uh, allow them to make the most important decisions. So when you say getting into the business, I'm curious about how you actually got into the business. Yeah. Maybe if you could walk me through your decision-making through college, I remember you were readily involved with our economics courses, the few that we did have, our finance courses. You took on internships and opportunities that focused or even expanded upon those classes and opportunities you took. So yeah. Can you walk me through perhaps the interview process that led you to where you are today in your current job? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess taking a step back, 
I uh, kind of went down a more non-traditional path to get into this kind of role. Um, you know, we, we obviously were engineering students uh, at Cooper and I, I was studying chemical engineering. And, you know, in general, most, most of the students who attend Cooper usually go into a more traditional engineering type role. Thought, I thought it's what I wanted to go into, you know. Um, I, was, I was pretty pretty big on like pharmaceuticals and, and working like in big pharma doing medical research and in my head one day going and, mm -hmm. and creating this new and big drug and, uh, you know, doing, doing something spectacular like that. And I, I actually worked in an internship like that. It was, it was my freshman, right after my freshman year. Uh, I worked in, in Israel, yeah. I worked in Tel Aviv University doing glioblastoma uh, cancer research, mm -hmm. the brain cancer research, essentially. And, you know, obviously we're, we're junior and there's only so much we can do. But, you know, I think it gave me really good insight into the field in general and what the day-to-day -day was like and, and what my responsibilities would be, you know, if I were to go into that field after I graduated. I think, I think big picture, I, I kind of just knew it wasn't really for me. All of the mm -hmm. things that excited me about the business were counteracted by the day-to-day -day and I guess less thrilling the day-to-day -day activity and process was in actually doing all of this, which I guess I didn't, you know, anticipate or realize uh, yeah. when, I, when I first thought I wanted to go into this. So <laughs> kind of straightened me away. Um, I knew I was interested in, in finance uh, as well. You know, I was already trading on my own at that point. It was just something I, I enjoyed doing. And I figured it was a pretty logical next next step as to, you know, career right. path as to where I would go if not engineering. Uh, you know, like you said, I started loading up pretty heavily on whatever economics or financial type classes we had at Cooper. Um, you know, over the years, I did. Uh, I, I slowly started my own few classes. Yeah, I think you really pioneered that that feat, starting up a lot of those independent study with a focus on exactly what you said, economics and finance. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Cooper was so great about allowing you to really spend some time on your own to do work and and research on something that you're interested in. So you know, we were fortunate enough to have uh, a few professors who were at Cooper who did have a more traditional finance background or economics background who I was able to spend a lot of time with and uh, you know do research on topics within finance that, that I found really interesting um, and that definitely that definitely definitely helped me in my path uh, to get to where I am but uh, aside from that from there like it really came down to, to reaching out and trying to find anybody you can within the industry and within the business who may have been alumni at Cooper or people you knew from your community family friends whatever it is to put you in touch with people in similar positions to what you want to do in order to, you know, right. for lack of a better word, network with them, learn what they're doing, see if if it's the right fit and the right type of thing that you want to do as well. And if it is, push on that a little bit, but not for the purpose of like, hey, get me a job, more for the purpose of learning what you're actually exactly. doing, learning about what they do and ensuring that it's what you want to do, you know, moving forward. Um, so I really spent a lot of time doing that, you know, my sophomore year, my junior year of college, I reached out, emailed, called anybody who I could, set up little coffee meetings in between classes, you know, in afternoons before before we got into the, <laughs> you know, nitty gritty of, of whatever coursework we had. And, you know, every every free free minute I had was really spent on that on that stuff. So it's it's a process, you know, it was definitely a grind. I was reading the Wall Street Journal oh, inside and out every day. You were already there with it. a cup of coffee. But a couple page, couple pages in and I thought I'd get in early, yeah. but you were already there. God, those were those were <laughs> Those were tough. Those were tough weeks. I had to wake up and do that like in the morning before we had any class because most days, I mean, especially sophomore year, we had classes what nine a.m. to nine p.m. Basically, the electives were all six to nine, and we had our first class at nine a.m. So I was up at like six, 
and I worked out and I read the newspaper because that was the only time of day I had to actually do it. And if I didn't wake up that early, it would have never gotten done. So it was a balance as, as anybody else would have to do to, uh, to look into something that they might not necessarily be studying, but it, uh, it definitely paid off. I think there's two important buckets you could say that you both filled up and are now balancing as you're making your way into your professional life. You took that uh, interest yeah. in the pharma, in the biotech space through your research on glioblastomas in Israel, which is such an amazing feat, I think, to be able to travel somewhere early and get a sense of a research field, any career field in general. And you took that passion, I think, just to try new things and try them in different places and compounded it, you could say, into your professional experience and your experience with the trading, like you said. I think it's difficult to dedicate that kind of time, especially when you have so many other things going on, you know, classwork from nine to nine, and then, you know, yeah. how else am I gonna find out what I wanna do? And you found that time early in the day. I think that's something I've always respected of you is making time to really get into the nitty gritty. And if it takes that extra step or waking up early in the morning, whether it's to read, whether it's to run, um, wakes you up for the rest of the day and keeps you going. That's for sure. You know, so you so that was one bucket. Yeah. And the other one is you yeah, found definitely. the passion with your own time trading and wanting to get that experience, reaching out to different people. But I think in general, that also is not something that ever really stops, right? You know, as your, your life goes on and your career progresses, what in any business whether it's you know trading or right. pharmaceuticals or any type of engineering whatever it is you know you're always going to be thinking about the next thing thinking about ways you can continue to learn and grow and in doing that you're always going to be reaching out to people who either know more than you or are just doing something so completely different than you are or, or tangential to what you are that you think you know you might grow into very well or, or might be a nice next step for you uh, you know, that that whole idea of reaching out to people who do something different than you that you might not know never, never changes and never goes away. Um, you know, even even speaking to some of our friends now who are all like looking for new jobs or mm -hmm. are thinking about transitioning into something else. They're doing the same thing that we were doing when we were in college. Right. It's the same type of thing. It's it's coffee chats. It's grabbing a beer. It's it's getting on the phone for 15, 20 minutes, just learning about, you know, somebody else's. Yeah job, their role, their life, how they got into it, etc. So it's uh, it's something that, that never really ends. Even having a third person in the room just as a mediator for conversation, if you remember our call with John a couple of weeks ago, but I digress. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't quite say I was a mediator in that conversation. I was there for fun, but it was, I, I agree with your sentiment. I want to get a little bit more tuned in to what you do and things that you have to kind of keep your eye on. There's a quote that I saw from the Wall Street Journal, exactly yeah. what you said, that said something along the lines of a trader that doesn't take vacation is a trader who doesn't want to let anyone else look at his book. Would you be able to walk me through the time that you do need to take off to refocus and the time that whether it's required, whether it's not, like how do you find uh, to make that free time and then what do you end up doing with it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what you're referring to is the more traditional or colloquial term of a two-weeker which uh, anyone in, in sales and trading or, you know, who works in finance in general knows that, uh, you know, someone who works at a bank in something that, that mm -hmm. the bank deems a sensitive position has to take two, two consecutive weeks of vacation off uh, every year, uh, you know, in every calendar year. Um, and it's, it's really just big picture. It's an internal controls thing. 
It allows you know the the bank to do a full review of everything that you've done that year. It's a combination of making sure you're obviously not doing anything wrong or illegal, but also you know looking at at, at right. your your risk metrics and making sure you're not doing too much, too little. Uh, you're not trying to hide anything on a day to day basis. You know if you're sitting there and, and your boss calls you and you know they have questions about something that co- that comes across you know their their monitor. That looks slightly off. You know, you can always, if you are in theory doing something wrong, you can always give an explanation for. You know, through the day-to-day flow of trading, you're buying this, you're selling this. You know, something didn't update in time, whatever it is. Um, you know, when you are gone for two weeks straight, it's it's the you know an ample amount of time to allow any outstanding trades that you have, having been completely settled, uh, any risks that you have in your book, like being finalized, like and basically taking like a snapshot of everything you, right. you have at that moment and any, everything you've done in the past year. And allows you know senior management, internal risk, whatever controls are in place at the firm, whoever runs that, to go through everything you've done, make sure everything is in place. And obviously, you know, if something right. is not in place, that that gets escalated, whether it's SEC or Finra or, or whoever, whatever governing agency it is. Um, but it's essentially a way to allow more senior management and internal audit and controls to go through everything you've done, ensure there's no wrongdoing, right. ensure you're not taking outsized risk. Uh, and, and hiding it from more senior management, uh, and just making sure everything everything is in line, um, which I think is you know I think it's been in place since the '90s, but obviously there's been a much greater emphasis on it since you know something like 2008 uh, when, right. when there were larger risk positions that um, you know guys held. So that's that's really the gist of it. I guess on the second part of your question, what I do at the time, it's hard. You know, it's uh, it's hard to completely disconnect aside from these two weeks. You know what I mean? You're, you're especially being being markets oriented, like now with with Russia and Ukraine and everything that's going on. Even if I'm if I'm not in the office and the mm-hmm. market's closed or my market is closed and it's eight nine p.m., you know, you're watching and you're seeing what's going on in Tokyo and, and you're seeing what what all these uh, foreign markets are doing and you know anything right. could happen in Europe throughout the night. Um, so you're you're always, you're always kind of glued to it, and I'm always I'm always checking my email and my Bloomberg, which you know. Uh, whatever. Don't ask my wife if you think if she thinks it's uh, healthy or not. But um, having the ability to completely disconnect during your two week or like I'm not allowed to to check my Bloomberg. I'm not right. allowed to message anybody from my team. I think I think I'm only allowed to check my emails for non time sensitive uh, like information. You know, something mm-hmm. like big picture that I can look through. But I can't look look into trades. I can't talk to anybody in my team about a market view. Nothing. So realistically, I have to completely connect, disconnect. Like on my two weeker this year, I didn't makes, even check. That makes out. me really you know, happy for that, you. There's <laughs> nothing that when you're facing markets like this. I know, I know, it's so nice, it's so nice. But it really just allows you to to completely be be removed from it all. So it's nice. This year, we we actually, my wife and I went on our honeymoon. Uh, we went to Hawaii for two weeks, which was incredible, incredible. Um, I think it, you know, in general, moving forward, we're going to try to take advantage of this time. Uh, obviously, you know, year in year out, there might be one-off occurrences where we might need mm-hmm. two weeks to go do something else, whether it's a holiday, a family trip, something like that. But we're hoping to to get out there and see as much of the world as we can before it's right. it's too hard and life gets in the way of us actually doing something like that. So we're not quite sure where we're going to go this year yet. Um, we're looking maybe somewhere in Europe. We're hoping Australia and New Zealand are fully functional. Mm-hmm. I know they just you know slowly started opening things back up, so we might try to make it out there. But we'll see. We'll see. When it comes down to it, anywhere we go will be nice. And just having that ability to be away. Uh, just us and, and seeing a different part of the world is uh, is absolutely ideal. So mm-hmm. we are ideal, absolutely looking forward to not it. Not only ideal, but it's instrumental 
to what you mentioned earlier, necessary yeah. and yeah, exactly. necessary. I think not only is important for your own mental health, yeah, but when you do come back to work and you are bringing these experiences back, what you mentioned before is the people that succeed in this field and the people that find the most success and are growing their book, right, are the people that can understand big picture, the effects of small things that make their way down, you know, the snowball effect, uh, studying the macroeconomics of the space, like you mentioned, you gave us the introduction. Yeah, those are all really positive things. And I think those all bring a lot of positive attention, right? So the free time that you get allows you to explore the other things that make you happy, the things that make you interested. I think that's a lot of a positive attention that you can bring and you can get by being in this field. Perhaps going on the other end of the seesaw here, uh, and perhaps it's a sensitive area, but I think it's important and important one. Roles in finance do get their fair share of negative attention as well. Not going to get into too many details of what we see in the news these days, but uh, how would you handle or how do you have to deal with answering to any kind of that negative sentiment if you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, it's it's always something that's that's making headlines and something people like to talk about. I think, you know, there are kind of two sides of it. Like in, internally, it's not it's not something that mm-hmm. comes up on a day to day basis too often. Like we don't really talk about things like that on the desk or or within within our team. You know, every every once in a while, there's there's a big headline that uh, that comes out about some particular bank doing something wrong. But I, I don't know. I think in general, every every business and anything that you're doing is going to have right. a few bad actors, as they like to call it. You know, and there's always going to be somebody <laughs> doing something wrong in uh, in a lot of different different businesses or, or business lines that you do, and not not just finance and and right. any anything else. You know, somebody hiding something, somebody somebody not being honest about something. So. Um, you know, any anywhere you go, you're going to come across that. And I think it's not really so different in our business. I think just because the nature and the scale of, of what all of these big banks and financial institutions have become, uh, it, it is, you know, emphasized and they make and they make the headlines uh, when somebody like that does something wrong, you know, and it's, it's easy to highlight the, you know, few select people who do something really wrong when they're in such high up positions and, and you know, uh, could have such a large impact on whether it's, it's the economy, the the institution itself, the employees for the institution. Um, you know, um, on, on a day-to-day basis, right. it's not something that really comes up at the office internally. I think, you know, we've all come across someone who who has critiques and criticism of, of what you do, or, you know, I've come across uh, people who, you know, just uh like to criticize the financial <laughs> industry to my face and it happens it happens every once in a while but um you know you really just need to to think about the fact that there are only these select few people who are really doing bad things and majority of the business and everybody you interact with on a day-to-day basis does not uh, and at the same time there are controls in place to prevent further people from doing anything like that so you know i think i think the banks are doing a really good job at emphasizing that and making sure all their employees are aware of everything that um, they can and can't be doing, as well as having a system of reporting and, and uh, whatever it is to ensure that if you do come across something that does not look right, there's a way to escalate it. So I think I think that's that's really what it comes down to, being aware of it and being and being able to know what right. to do when you come across something that comes Setting wrong. Setting a precedent for knowing what to do when something goes wrong, or at least knowing who to contact, who to reach out to. You know, the company sets you up for success, but also by instilling trust in you, giving you time to yeah. 
gain that experience, at least when you're starting in those early roles as associates or analysts. Speaking to getting into this space as an associate or as an analyst and pointing, you know, to the trust that the company at that stage starts to give you. In your role, you had to complete a series of exams and certifications. Uh, I remember uh, we, yeah, right. Yeah. I remember we were mind me. getting into our first jobs and first years into our graduate programs, having a little time off and you were like, sorry guys, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get these certifications in before I start, uh, start working. Do you mind briefly walking me through what the expectations and those basic requirements are? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think they're kind of two two sides of these kinds of tests and exams. You know, it's really the things that, that you need and are required uh, by law to have. And then the exams and certifications that you don't necessarily need, but can only uh, benefit you in the future. So I guess the, the former there are all the series exams, right? The uh, FINRA, uh, which is a governing agency mm -hmm. that, that oversees all of the big banks. Uh, they require all, all employees, you know, or, or at least markets and, and banking uh, type employees to pass these, these series exams, um, which are basically like basic financial mm -hmm. information exams, depending on which exam you take. What, some of them are more geared towards actual financial knowledge. So being able to do certain calculations and understanding key concepts. Uh, but some of them are geared more toward, towards specifically regulation. Uh, so I had to take exams that covered both of those. Uh, I took two of them mm -hmm. when I first started. So the Series 7 and the Series 63. Uh, that was, you know, July, uh, right before, you know, or right as I started, you know, our first job out of college. And then I had to take another one a few years later that got a little more specific to the group I was in with like secured, uh, securitization and regulations uh, and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not fun. Um, you know, it, it really ends up being like a few day cram of all the information you could possibly absorb uh, <laughs> doing an absurd amount of practice questions, re reading uh, 300 pages, 400 page, page textbooks. Uh, you know, in three days and then trying to pump through, you know, 2000 practice questions, essentially. Um, and, you know, all, all of these third party organizations uh, have like these courseworks and these these question banks and things like that that you can study from. Uh, and they do a really good job and have, you know, a very high pass rate. Um, you know, there is uh, every once in a while an unfortunate uh, circumstance where someone doesn't pass and they have to wait 30 days before they can take it again. Um, to be completely honest, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how it works if, if you don't pass on the second time. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it, I can't Especially see it looking managing a lot of money. Um, I, I think, yeah, yeah. So uh, most most people, I, I would say like 90 some odd percent of people pass it the first time. And then I think almost everybody passes the second time, if not. Um, right. It's just, it's, it's almost like a rite of passage. You know, everybody who gets into this business has to take these exams. Uh, the flip side of that is that there are other types of exams that that you can take that you don't necessarily have to take. Uh, the, mm. the one I have in mind specifically the, is the CFA one that exam. causes you to disappear um, from the rest I, of our lives these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it causes everybody to disappear. Yeah, so you know that one well. Um, I took I took a few of those. Uh, it's the Chartered Financial Analyst exam. It's not required by any means for for really anything but there are three exams that you take in these and it's basically like an all-encompassing financial knowledge exam or set of exams, really. You know, the first test, basically like an undergraduate mm -hmm. finance degree is how I like to explain it to people. It tests like all basic financial concepts, calculations, uh, high-level understanding. Uh, it's all multiple choice. Uh, it's about a four or five hour test. 
uh, people study for for all of these tests for like six months in advance. They they say you should study around 300 hours, if not more. Um, which you know, this is something I actually you know began to undertake our senior year of college because I thought it was the most natural way for me to progress from something like engineering into finance. Uh, obviously, I didn't study finance, you know, as an undergraduate, and I only had this select coursework for particular electives or research that I did. But to have like a real financial base, I thought this was the best way for me to uh, really uh, get up to speed as quickly as possible. You completed the standard coursework that we had to do, as well as taking this upon yourself. So I think it only propel you. Yeah, and that's that's the thing with the CFA exams. They the CFA exams get a lot of critique because a lot of people think that they aren't necessarily worth it. You spent so much time studying from them, like you said. I kind of like <laughs> okay. dropped off but the you, face you of know, the earth you, you for six months studying for, sure. for them. Yeah, yeah. So I've taken the first two, uh, and I passed them both. Uh, I have one left, which I'm not quite sure when I'll take, but I will at some point. Um, but speaking to somebody at work, you know, about these, and someone who who, who passed all three. What they said the biggest value add is is that it shows other people and shows yourself that you are willing to spend an absurd amount of time outside of regular hours to make yourself better and mm-hmm. to make yourself more knowledgeable. I think on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, the information that I learned from the exams aren't always the most applicable. Like we cover so many different topics on these tests. The one particular section on what I happen to be doing on a day-to-day basis <laughs> is like the most superficial uh, level you could think about it. So it's not something that really changes anything, but to, to be able to understand so many different sides of finance and the market and what other people are doing just from having that base layer understanding it's, if you studied it in college or took courses on it, I found to be very helpful. Um, you know, whether it's worth necessarily spending three years of your life in six month increments studying and taking studying and taking the exams and right. that's you know that's if you pass them all in your first time these these tests only have you know 40 percent pass rates uh at best really i think the last the last test that uh just came out they're only offered twice a year now uh for a while they were only offered once a year but i think the last one that came out mm-hmm. there was this 25 percent some odd pass rate so they're they're hard they're they're notoriously grueling exams and you know you have to spend a lot of time on them so there's a lot of critique towards them where people think you know there might be a better use of your time if you're trying to advance in your industry Um, but i found them to be very valuable and it's very it's very hit or miss for some people but that is you know one of those kinds of tests that is not required but can only really help help you and uh you know expand your knowledge base and and help you grow you said it best i think it proves to yourself and to others that will eventually trust you with their money in some capacity that you're willing to take the extra time to better yourself and better the receiving end as well, right? So in this case, it's your group, your team. Um, In the future, it's kind of your own experience as someone who manages money and someone that studies and works through different markets in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it paints a picture, you know, being able to put different, different pieces of your life together, you know, more analytical, problem solving, engineering type study with the actual cold financial knowledge that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. It, uh, it helps, you know, make make someone a little more well-rounded if it's not something that they uh, would have come across otherwise in the past. You painted a really nice portrait of both the requirements, the time commitment that goes in there, as well as the balance that you have to take to succeed in your role. Looking forward and whether it's five, 10, 20 years in the future, do you see yourself staying 
in the sales and trading space? And if not, what kind of options do you think you'd explore, you know, as other responsibilities come up, as other opportunities show themselves? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a question a lot of people face in this business. Uh, you know, traditionally, there are a handful of paths that people go to from, uh, you know, working at a sell side trading desk. Uh, you know, guys go to hedge funds or money managers, um, which is certainly like a feasible option at some point down the line. Um, but I think I, I can totally see myself being at a bank and, and trading in the way that I do now, you know, in the long term. Um, I'm certainly happy where I am at the moment um, and can see it being something that, uh, you know, blossoms further over a number of years. The business in general, there's always so much turnover. We've had, you know, three guys on our team just leave this year, including one this week. You know, guys are going new places all the time for for a variety of reasons, whether it's just pure pure money or the the workload mm -hmm. that they're taking on is not what they expected. Uh, they're looking for something a little bit slower, you know, a little a little different kind of pace, or or alternatively faster. You know, um, right. every every kind of trading seat can be a little bit different, and how you're applying that, whether it's you know a sell side uh, bank where you're servicing clients versus you know going somewhere where you can be a little more speculative like a hedge fund uh guys are looking for different things at different points mm -hmm. in their lives and you know it depends on their risk tolerance and uh and and what they think best suits them at the time so those are all definitely options in the future i think a hedge fund or a money manager if, if not you know being at a bank are, are probably the most likely options but uh, i think it is a very reasonable assumption or a very reasonable expectation that i can be at a bank for a long time you know i think it's it's suited me very well so far uh and unless something drastically changes that will make me want to reconsider or maybe have myself uh look elsewhere um, I can I can see yeah, being a place something for, for quite some time. As long as you're happy and they, they, they're paying you <laughs> to to keep your head above the water. Yeah, that's that's kind of the the unspoken part of, of all of this, right? It's obviously not the the sole sole reason why a lot of people undertake these jobs, but I don't know. Someone someone recently said something that I thought was very very insightful to me, where when you're in a job like this, like either you're learning on a day-to-day -day basis or on a yearly basis, like you are expanding your knowledge base and you are learning and taking as much as you can, or they're paying you enough to not necessarily be doing that, but to still stay in that role, you know? And if you're not getting at least one of those, that's when you start to really consider going somewhere else. Um, and I think in general, that's like, I don't know, it, yeah. it may be a fin finance stereotype, but I think in a lot of businesses, yeah. that's the case too, right? That's with any job. Right. If you're if you're if you're not being mentally exerted and you're not learning on a day to day basis and they're paying you poorly, you know, for what you do and the hours that you put in, uh, you're going to want to go and do something else. So, you know, unless unless something like that changes in the near future, uh, you know, I can see myself being here um, and being somewhere where I can uh, continue to grow. So I want to thank you again, Justin, for your time today and your thought process as you work through these early stages of your career, exploring different markets, taking different exams and certifications to better yourself and better the resources you can provide for your clients and your team. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing and seeing about your next steps. And I know we'll be seeing each other soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's nice to be here. I'm glad uh, I'm glad I can be of help. You know, this, this, this kind of stuff is not easy for a lot of people. So it's uh, always nice to be of service. And uh, hopefully our experiences can help guide others who might be, you know, feeling exactly. lost in the process. I think that helps hammer or uh, hammer in the vision and what we're trying to accomplish here at NFTP. So thanks again, Justin, for your time today. And we'll be reconnecting again soon. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. Thank you. Thanks to all our listeners for sticking in through the episode of Justin today. 
Please visit our website at nftpcast.com to learn more. Complete the Google form on our website to stay in touch. Submit future topics and industries for us to cover, recover, and discover. Tune in for the next episode and see you next time. This is Tyler, the sound engineer with the Networking for the People podcast. If you like today's episode and the music we played, check us out on Facebook and Instagram and at nftpcast.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.